following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. All right, good morning. We'll be looking this morning in Matthew chapter 16, uh, starting with verse 24. Jesus called to take up your cross and follow him. So we'll be reading uh, verses 24 through 28. If you want to follow along or read, I think it's, it will be on the screen. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his life? What shall a man give in return for his life? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father. And then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Uh, But it's important to see this passage in its context and uh, to really uh, unpack its its meaning, uh, really in the context of all that Matthew is saying about who Jesus is. So let's look at this. Um, The immediate context, immediate verses that come before this, if you were here last Sunday, you know that Peter has just made the, the climactic confession of who Jesus is. Really, everything in the, in the Gospel of Matthew has been leading up to this point, asking the question, who is Jesus? Right? Who is this? And finally, uh, Jesus asked his disciples, who do the people say I am? And, and the people saw, thought that Jesus was some kind of a prophet. Uh, but Jesus says, but you, my disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter jumps up, is that you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus, long-awaited king. And of course, the, the idea of Messiah is, is, is uh, the idea of a king. Israel's long-awaited uh, king who would follow after, uh, after King David and sit on his throne. Um, and that was good news, right? They'd been waiting a long time for this king. But then Jesus really blows them away and completely unravels all their ideas about what kingship is when he says to them, by the way, I'm going to Jerusalem where I'm going to be very badly mistreated by the rulers and the leaders, and I am going to be killed by them. And after three days, I will rise again. And of course, Peter protests and rebukes Jesus. Uh, that's, that's not what kings do, right? Uh, Loyal subjects die for their king. Kings don't die for their subjects. Right? That's backwards. That's upside down. And and Jesus uh, rebukes Peter. Um, and 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 he makes it clear that this death is vital. And of course, we just celebrate a communion, the Lord's Supper. We celebrate the truth and reality that there is no other way. Right? That his his blood was essential because the great enemy of Israel was not Rome. It was sin, and the horrible, deadly consequences of sin. And that had to be dealt with. And the only way to deal with that was with a worthy offering or sacrifice. The blood of bulls and goats could never pay 
the real price for sin. Only uh, a, a supreme sacrifice, only the Lamb of God could do that. So we sang that song, the Lamb of God, the, the sacrifice that, G, that God himself offered for our sin. Um, and, and that's a huge theme of Scripture, a huge mission, a huge purpose for why Jesus came. Jesus came as the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. Amen? We celebrate that. Uh, we celebrate in communion. We celebrate it every Sunday as we worship him. Uh, but here's a question. Does that mean that the chief aim and end and goal, the, the, the primary mission of Jesus' life was dealing with our sin? In other words, was that the highest reason he came? Was that the end of it? He came so that we could get our sin taken care of, and then that's kind of the end of the story. Is that all that Jesus' life was about? Well, uh, certainly it was the primary mission of the Lamb of God, but Jesus is also described as the Lion of Judah. And the Lion of Judah didn't come to die, right? The Lion of Judah came to what? To be king, right? That's the Messiah, Messiah. He is the Messiah. And Jesus uh, affirmed G- uh, Peter's answer was right. I came to be king. Right? So we've got we to see both these pictures of who Jesus is. He is the Lamb of God. Absolutely. And we need him uh, to deal with our sin. But that is not all that, cons- that, that encompassed his mission. Right? His mission was beyond that. Uh, the cross was part of it, but his final, ultimate end was that he would bring the kingdom. So that's why throughout the Gospel of Matthew up to this point, it speaks about Jesus proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus said the kingdom is at hand, the kingdom is near. Uh, and, and really that's one of the themes, or some people would say the main theme of the book of Matthew, Jesus as king, right? And that's really what uh, the context and setting is of the book, and uh, certainly of this passage. Uh, the kingdom has come because the king has come. And, and uh, Jesus' mission, his goal, his chief end, is that he would rule and reign as king. He would bring to the world his kingdom. Um, so it's really important that we understand that, that we see this, this vision of the real chief end and reason Jesus came. Right? Uh, and so it's in that context Okay, so after Peter's just made his declaration and Jesus has just talked about going to the cross, uh, it's then, it's, and it even says in verse 25, then, then, okay, it's an important word, then, at that point, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Okay, he's talking about what it means to be a follower. Right? If anybody would come after me, and he's speaking this to his, his disciples, but he opens it up here to anyone. He said, if anyone wants to come after me, to follow me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Uh, what is this about? What, is, what does it mean to be a follower of Christ? Uh, and, and to answer that question, we really have to, we really have to ask the question, who is it we're following? When we say we want to follow Jesus... Who exactly do we think we're following? And unfortunately, we, we often wrongly take these verses out of its context, and we think that it's applying to Jesus as a, as a rabbi, as a teacher. And of course, Jesus was a rabbi and a teacher, and, 
And that's how he was largely identified. He was called rabbi. They saw him go around teaching. right? So it's not unrealistic, and it's part of what Jesus did. And we want to apply these words to Jesus as a teacher. right? Um, to, to follow him means to make Jesus my teacher, my coach, <laughs> my life coach, and he's going to teach me some principles about life so that I can live life better. Right? And of course, sin's a problem, so he had to die to forgive my sins, but he forgives my sins, and now I can live life better. Right? I can be a better person. I could be a good person. And that's what it means to follow Jesus, right? to live a good moral life. But here's the, here's the interesting reality. Uh, uh, there's not a lot of risk in living a moral life. Like, like he's talking about taking up your cross. Whatever that means, we'll talk about it in a minute. But it sounds pretty severe, like dying, like taking risks, like counting the cost. But I'm telling you, there's not a lot of cost in, in living a moral life. In fact, the reality is that sin oftentimes is uh, much more risky. Right? Drug addictions uh, are risky. Right? Alcoholism can kill you and, and very likely will kill you. Right? Uh, having... Uh, free sex with multiple partners is known to be very risky behavior, right? Uh, so actually living a moral life would actually be very safe. It would not be, it would not require taking up your cross, right? And, and that's not really what Jesus is talking about. Now, of course, uh, as, as we'll see, you know, we, I'm not saying we should not live moral lives, okay? That, <laughs> um, that's a good thing. But that's not really what he's talking about here. He's not saying, follow me, and, and live a good, clean-cut life, right? As a, more, as a highly moral person. Okay, that, that's not really the ultimate mission why Jesus came, right? He didn't can't come as a teacher to help us uh, live life a little more successfully, right? No, he, he's using the language here of kingship. When he says, follow me, he is saying, follow me because I am the king, I am the rightful ruler, and I have right to rule over your life. If you want to follow me as king, as Messiah, this is what's required. Uh, and if you don't believe me, uh, well, just read the, the Gospel of Matthew one more time up to this point and see all the references to Jesus the King and this, this influence of Jesus the Messiah and the coming kingdom. But even in this passage, notice how it ends in verse 28. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until what? until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Kingdom. Of course, this verse has all kinds of problems. And when does this happen? And how did the disciples who lived 2,000 years ago see Jesus come in his kingdom when he hasn't, you know, he hasn't returned yet? We'll talk about that in a minute. But, we're not, but the context here is, is his kingdom. Jesus the King. That's what he's talking about. Um, following him as a citizen of his kingdom. Right? And to be a citizen of his kingdom means we put our life under his reign and rule. All right? And one of the reasons we get confused about kingdom is we think of kingdom as a place or as a future event that will happen when Jesus returns. And certainly his kingdom will be fully accomplished then. But Jesus said the kingdom is near. It is at hand. It is available to you right now. He says this to his disciples, some of you are not even going to die before you see the King, uh, the Son of Man, come in his kingdom. Right? The kingdom is something available to us now because the kingdom is primarily the rule or the governing of Christ over our life. Right? Uh, and, and that's what Jesus is talking about here. Um, 
He's saying being a citizen of the kingdom. And and that means uh, that he is Lord over your life. For Jesus, to, to follow Jesus means making him master, ruler, and king over our life. Uh, we are no longer in charge. We no longer get to decide what I want to do or what I like or where I want to live. Right? If Jesus is king, it means I ask him, Lord, what, do you, what would you have me do? Lord, what is your purpose and, and mission and call upon my life? Right? That's what it means for him to be the king. He gets, he gets to be the boss, right? He gets to be the boss. How many of you got a job, and the first day on the job, you went to your boss and said, let me tell you what I'm going to do for you, right? Here, here's what I can do for you, right? That doesn't work that way. The boss says, no, let me tell you what you're going to do for me. Let me tell you what your job is, right? And, and that's what it means to be in charge. And, and for Jesus to be king, he gets to tell us what to do. That's, that's what it means to live, to follow him, to say, Lord, I... I Submit my life fully to your rule over me. It also means living as he lived. Jesus, in his life, modeled certain values of the kingdom. He served. He loved. He showed compassion for those in need. He ultimately laid down his life as a sacrifice for others. Of course, none of us can be the sacrifice for sin that Jesus was. He's the only one that can do that. But does he call us to sacrificially give our lives in service to others? Absolutely. That's a value of the kingdom. And so we're to live like he lived. And finally, it means proclaiming the kingdom to the world. Right? It means being on the same mission that Jesus was and announcing that the kingdom has come in Christ. Uh, And we announce this message, just as Jesus did, to a very hostile world who for the most part does not accept him as king. Jesus announced the coming of the king. He told them, I came to rule. I came as your Messiah. And uh, did they cheer and applaud that or did they kill him? Right? They killed him. Right? They, they, they were hostile to him because the world does not want a king. Right? The world wants to be in charge of itself. They want to rule over their own life. They don't want God telling them how to live. And so they killed him. But we're called to that. Right? We're called to proclaim that kingdom and invite others to follow him as king, even though they are many of many his enemies and will be hostile to that message. Right? Um, now we might ask, where does the cross fit into all this? Um, Jesus doesn't doesn't mix those things together here. The other parts of scripture do. Uh, he does talk about it earlier in some of the parables, and and essentially it's this. We, we may choose to follow Jesus, but we are not qualified to follow Jesus apart from the work of the cross. In other words, his kingdom is a kingdom that is pure and perfect and absolutely right and good in every way. And we are sinful. Uh, uh, apart from Jesus' work, we are sinful, we are fallen, we are unrighteous and unworthy to be in that kingdom. The only access into that kingdom is through the blood of, of Christ. Right? He tells that you know they're invited to the to the banquet in the kingdom. They come in to celebrate, but they have to put on uh, the the bridal garments that are pure. Right, and there were some who came into the banquet who were not wearing the pure bridal garments that were uh, provided. And what happened to them? Well, they were kicked out. Right, we come into the kingdom through the blood of Jesus, and 
uh, as he's shown, this revelation comes from God. Understanding who Jesus is is something only God can reveal to us. But once we come to know who Jesus is and what he's made available to us, that he makes us worthy of the kingdom by taking away sin and making us holy vessels, uh, then uh, we have a decision to make. Are we going to follow him or not? Right? And that's what this is about. He says, if anyone would follow me, if anybody wants to be following me as king, if anybody would uh, acknowledge me as Messiah, as king, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Um, what this tells us uh, is that this kingdom is not a safe kingdom. <laughs> this kingdom is not a safe kingdom. There is a cost to following this king. Now, when I think of kingdoms, you know, I've watched I've, I've watched my fair share of Disney. You know stories, and I know how kingdoms work. There's these amazing palaces and castles that are impenetrable, and there's like knights in shining armor, and there's powerful armies, right? And kingdoms mean a safe place, right, where you are protected by the king and his power and his army. Uh, what is this about, right? What is this about? In fact, Jesus himself just said, uh, "Peter, you're you're the rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of death will not defeat it." That's, what I'm, that's the kingdom I'm talking about, right? Some, some like thumping on people kingdom. Like some conquering and, you know, winning kingdom. Like that's what I want, right? What does this talk about the kingdom being a highly risky place where you could lose your life? Well, uh, ultimately, King, Jesus' kingdom will conquer, ultimately. But even in that expression, the gates of death will not overcome it. If we look closely at that, what he's saying is there, you won't die. He's saying that even when you do, you still win. <laughs> okay? right? He's not saying it's not going to be dangerous. He's saying, no, death, you're, you're going to die. Okay? But death will not defeat you. Right? Death will not defeat my kingdom. So, so he's not saying here that his kingdom is a safe place. And in fact, if we rewind a bit back in the Gospel of Matthew to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has already warned his disciples, blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom. Right? Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. He's already told us this kingdom is not a safe place. Following Jesus is not inherently safe or comfortable or easy. Um, if Jesus the king is going to be killed, what does it say about the rest of his army? Right? If they're going to kill the king, what does it say about all of his subjects? Uh, it means we're not in a really great spot, right, as his followers. Right? Um, it's risky, right? And so he says, so that's why he says, uh, and this is a kingdom, to understand this, we have to know that this is a kingdom at war with the world. Right? It, is a war, it is a kingdom in absolute opposition to the rulers and dominions and powers of this world, physical and spiritual. Right? So it is a kingdom that in this age is at war. Right? And we are in conflict against the powers of darkness and evil. And, and, and it is a war, right? and it's a costly war. 
Uh, so, so that's why Jesus says, if anyone wants to follow this king, follow me, they must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. So let's think a little bit about these two expressions, deny yourself and take up your cross. Uh, first, uh, what does it mean to, de- to deny yourself? Well, to deny something simply means to distance yourself from something, right? To dissociate from it some, somehow. So that's exactly what Peter did uh, when Jesus was, uh, on the night he was crucified, the night before he was crucified, right? Peter denied Jesus, says, I don't know him. I have nothing to do with him. And that's a, a great picture of what denial is. It's to say, I have nothing to do with you. Uh, now, that's easy when it's thinking about another person or some uh, political party or some idea. But what is it, how do you do that to yourself? Like, Tim, I don't know you anymore. <laughs> I forgot who I am, right? That sounds like maybe some form of like mental disorder, right? Uh, what, what does that mean? How do we do that? How do we deny ourselves? How do we dissociate from ourselves? Um, well, it's important to understand uh, what, what the self is. Right? What is the self? Uh, well, I think the self is, uh, is the instinct, and especially in this context, okay, in this context, the self that he's talking about is the instinct to self-preservation. Right? We're wired with an instinct to survive. And every day we make choices uh, based on what we feel will protect and preserve our life. And that's actually a good thing and a gift, uh, generally speaking. Uh, so uh, when, we're, when, we're, when we're out about to cross the street, right, and you see these cars barreling down the road, um, and, and we know, chances are pretty good, that if I step out on the road, those people are not going to stop, right? Because they're not expecting me to do that. Uh, in Thailand, pedestrians do not have the right of way. Pedestrians have the right of getting run over, right? So, uh, so I'm going to I'm going to make I'm going to be cautious, right? That's the the that's the uh, this instinct of self-preservation, and so these concepts go together. Deny yourself means to deny to distance yourself from this urge to preserve yourself, right? And why do I think that? Well, because of this whole notion of the cross. Or what he's talking about here is taking up the cross. So we need to talk also about what it means to carry your cross. Um, denying yourself is linked to a means of execution and death. And one of the problems we have when we read this account is we have 2,000 years of church history and church terminology. And this has kind of become a church phrase, you know, deny yourself and take up your cross. We can just say it just like that. And when we do that, how many of you are stricken with terror and fear when I say, take up your cross? Right, none of us, right? Because it's like, ah, whatever. It's just something Christians do. They take up their cross. They take up their cross. Not sure what that means, but we do that, right? Well, uh, the disciples, when they heard those words, they had never heard it described as something that religious people do as a matter of daily practice, right? What they knew is when you took up your cross, it means you had been sentenced to death and you were on your march to being executed, Right, uh, so, so so it was it was dramatic language that spoke of death. Jesus saying, uh, "You want to follow me? Begin your death march today." Right? That's what he's saying. You are you are on a march to your grave. That's that's the impact of what he's saying here. Um, 
Uh, now, does that mean everybody? Does that mean all of his disciples would die? Does it mean every follower of Jesus will die? Well, actually, it does. Because <laughs> guess what? We all die no matter what. If you follow Jesus, you die. If you don't follow Jesus, guess what? You still die. <laughs> right? Um, but what he's talking about here is, is this extreme price. He, he's talking about the greatest sacrifice, the highest risk, the worst thing that could happen to you if you follow him is death. And he's saying, uh, there's no guarantees that if you follow me, this will not happen to you. Because my kingdom is not about being safe. Right? Following me is not being protected from danger and harm and risk. Right? If you want to follow me, you need to be willing to die, actually physically die. Right? Not just like sacrifice Cheetos or you know, chocolate ice cream. Like, like for some people, they think that's what it means to take up their cross, like, you know, or live in Thailand instead of your home country. Okay, now that is a sacrifice. I don't want to demean that sacrifice. But what he's talking about here is the ultimate sacrifice of your life, right? He says that's, that's the price, that's the commitment we should make. We should be willing to follow Jesus at the cost of our very life, right? So, so, Remember, this is a self-preservation thing. Every day we have choices. Do I cross the busy street or do I wait until you know, there's, there's a path? Right? Do I stand on the very edge of a cliff and knowing I could slip off and fall to my death or I, do I step back a couple feet? Right? We make choices about what's safe. Um, and, and what Jesus is saying here is when it comes to following Jesus, we do not make the choice based on what's safe, what will, what will protect me, what will preserve my life. Um, but beyond that, uh, carrying the cross, and it's interesting that he talks about carrying the cross, not going to the cross. He says you know, they must take up their cross and carry it. And it was a, it was a, it was a, a picture of how execution worked in, in Jesus' day. Uh, you weren't just executed on a cross, but before you were executed, you were forced to actually carry uh, usually the cross beam of the cross, which was heavy, and you would maybe be strapped or tied to it, and you would be marched through the city where everybody could see, right? everybody could see that you have been sentenced to death, right? and that you have been identified as an enemy of the state and as a terrible person. And it was humiliating. Right? It was humiliating. And I remember, for those of us who are older, back in the good old days, when education was a lot different than it is now, Back in our day, if you were bad enough, uh, a, a method of uh, disciplining children, uh, you'd go for, to jail for this now, actually, in most countries. But the way it worked is they would make a dunce cap. Did any of you ever have to wear the dunce cap? Okay. <laughs> Some of you are admitting it, right? And what this meant is they made this really tall, pointy hat, and you get sit, sit, sat up in the very front of the classroom on a high stool, with your dunce cap and maybe a sign that says dunce, which, by the way, means idiot or stupid. And you would sit there and, and be publicly shamed before the whole class. Um, and actually, I think this was actually pretty effective. Um, I don't know about the ethics of it. And like I said, nowadays, you'd go to jail for this. Uh, uh, it was Because it was embarrassing. Like it was humiliating to be identified and to be shamed in front of your, your class. But what Jesus is talking about is taking that to a whole other level, right? It was, it was humiliating and, and degrading to be forced to carry your, 
means of execution through the city where everybody laughs at you and mocks you and looks at you and goes, what, what an idiot, right? What a terrible person. They're getting what they deserve, right? So, so not only is it um, you know, this picture of death, but it's also a picture of, of owning, taking on ourselves just degradation, shame, humiliation. Jesus says, this is what it means to follow me. Um, so denying ourselves means putting our loyalty to Jesus, our commitment to follow him, before our urge for self-preservation, our instinct for self-preservation. And uh, self-preservation can take many forms, and I don't know that I have an exhaustive list, but let me just think about three. Three ways that we seek to preserve our life, okay? Uh, the first would be from, from physical danger or harm. Right, the fear of heights, or like I said, walking across the street, or you know, a lot of people have been very worried about COVID, and have taken you know that fear of dying, a fear of getting the the the, the disease, the virus, and, and dying, right? Uh, and so there's this preservation instinct that kicks in that says, I need to do something to protect myself. So if it's COVID, you know, we wear a mask, or we wash our hands, or we lock ourselves in our bedroom and never leave, or you know, we take these steps, these precautions, right? That's that's the urge for self-preservation. Um, one of my favorites driving around Thailand, you know, is seeing people on motorbikes driving like really pretty fast with a mask on. They're not going to get COVID, right? But with no helmet. Like, okay, really? Like, really? Uh, I think he may have things a little off there. Uh, they, they fear some physical danger, obviously not all. Second area, though, would be, I think, um, this whole idea of esteem or honor. Right? We really do have something in us. Our self is deeply interested in protecting our honor and our reputation. Uh, and oftentimes I think that almost outweighs some of our da- fears of physical danger. Right? Where we, we want honor. We want our reputation to be upheld. We don't want people to think badly of us. And so we make decisions, all kinds of decisions, based on protecting our image and our honor and our reputation. Uh, so that people will like us and respect us and look up to us and think good of us. Uh, a third safety net uh, that I think is very powerful in our day is, is, uh, uh, is, is the idea of a financial safety net. You know, that somehow our life is going to be safe and protected if we're, if, if we're well-funded. And so that can take the shape of getting a good, high-paying job where we have good, regular income, or we can advance our careers and we know we have the certainty of having that financial stream. Or it can mean uh, piling away huge amounts of savings or, or retirement plans or insurance. And so we know we're protected. So we know we'll never come to a place where we're lacking financial resources. Right? And so we make decisions around these things. That's the point here. We make decisions about our life around these these needs to preserve ourselves, protect ourselves in terms of our physical safety and our honor and our financial security, right? Um, and so we see all kinds of fear in our life that's at the root of this, right? There's fears that we feel pressing on and we make decisions to, um, to relieve those fears. Now, what Jesus is not saying here, Jesus is not saying you should... You shouldn't be so stupid. You should live the most risky life. Throw, take off that motorcycle helmet. What are you doing? Like, you don't need that, right? Just dive off that cliff. 
Like, take those risks. Be a risk taker uh, for the sake of taking risks. Just be adventurous, right? That's not what Jesus is saying here, right? Jesus is not calling us to be stupid, right? Uh, that urge for self-preservation is important. It keeps us alive, right? And Jesus is not saying to completely throw that out and just to be a risk taker to be, for the sake of being some kind of thrill seeker or a martyr or just some tough guy. Like, bring it on, baby. I can do this. I'm tough. Yeah. Because right? actually, that would be taking up your cross but not denying yourself. Right? That would be trying to create an image of myself as this adventurous, risk-taking, thrill-seeking person. Right? That, that's not what he's talking about here. Uh, he specifically says that you do these things, you, you do this for the purpose of following me, for my sake. Right? You take risk, not for the sake of taking risk or being stupid, but you, you deny this urge for self-preservation in order to follow Jesus. Because Jesus has called us, because we have made him king over our life, and he's called us to do things and to live in our way, our life in a way that sometimes is dangerous and risky. Right? That's what he's talking about here. Uh, not just being careless to be careless, but, um, but being willing to take risks because Jesus has called you to go there. Right? Um, choosing physical harm or danger, even perhaps going to jail or being beaten, because you embrace Jesus as king, right? And I know some of you have worked in and, and come from and live in countries where uh, it's costly to, to name the name of Jesus, right? And you're forced with a decision. If I choose, if I become a Christian, if I follow Jesus, it could mean I could end up in jail. I could be beaten. It's a very real reality. And Jesus says, that's right. Anyone who would follow me, must deny himself, must deny that urge to be safe and take up your cross and follow me even though it may mean going to jail or being beaten or even being killed. Right? God may call you to go serve in a country where Christians are killed and executed. Right? And self-preservation says, well, that's, who would do that? Right? I'm not going to a country where I could die. Right? No, following Jesus says, I deny myself. I take up my cross and I follow him. Right? And again, I'm not saying we... I, my, I love Kiwis. Anybody here from New Zealand? Kiwis are just naturally... like They love to, to be martyrs. I just am so impressed with them. Like, like if they get called to missions, the first, thing they, the first question they will ask is, what's the hardest country? Like, where could I die? I want to go there, right? They're just like super eager. Okay, that's a good thing. But I'm not talking about picking the hardest place. I'm just saying, if Jesus calls you, do you submit to his plan for your life and say, I will do whatever Jesus calls me to do, regardless of the cost. No matter the cost, I will go there. Uh, it may mean, uh, God's call in your life may mean giving up financial security. right? Maybe some of you had really good jobs where you made a lot of money. And God called you to serve him and you, had, you left that job and you left that income. And you went out and you had to raise support. Which means now you have no idea how much you're going to get from one month to the next. right? And you're just hoping that this works. And you're trusting God. right? And there's no financial security. Because what happens if there's a pandemic and the world's economy fails and 
your donors uh, lose their jobs and they can't support you anymore. Do you worry about that? Or do you say, I am following Jesus no matter the cost? Um, <clears throat> carrying the cross means embracing a life of shame and disgrace. And this is true in any country, in any context, wherever you live. Uh, the cross is foolishness to the world. And if you name the name of Jesus and claim that your life is, is in Christ and you, you believe in the cross, people will think you are an idiot. Right? You will bring on yourself disgrace and shame. Uh, you will bring on yourself humiliation. And if you stand up for the gospel, if you proclaim Christ as a faithful witness, as we are called to do as his followers, people will ridicule you. Right? And they're, they're, it will not bolster our reputation. <laughs> In many circles, it will diminish our honor and our reputation. Right? So why in the world would anybody do this, right? Why would anybody follow Jesus if it's a risky kingdom and the best we can hope for is death, humiliation, financial insecurity, and trouble, persecution, difficulty? Who would sign up for that, right? Well, Jesus' kingdom is not safe, but his kingdom is eternal. His kingdom is eternal. Jesus says, for, uh, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Wow. Uh, he goes on and he says a similar thing. What, what would it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his life? Or what shall a man give in return for his life? Um. Here's the sad reality. Uh, the world isn't safe either. Right? And we may, we may avoid following Christ and, and take what we think is a safer route to preserve our life. We may follow that instinct of self-preservation and refuse to deny ourselves, refuse to take up our cross and follow Jesus. But Jesus warns us, if you do that, you cannot be in the kingdom. Right? Be clear on this, right? For, all too, for way too long, the church has taught a gospel of sin, uh, of fixing the sin problem. And we have proclaimed a gospel that says, if you trust Jesus, Jesus is going to take away your sin and you're going to heaven. But that's not actually the gospel Jesus proclaimed. Jesus proclaimed a gospel of the kingdom. And he said, if you trust Jesus, he will take away your sin so that you can choose to follow Jesus as king. And that is the path to life eternal. Right? It's not enough just to have your sin forgiven. You must choose to follow him and enter his kingdom and make him Lord and master over your life. Now, does that happen all in the same instant? Well, I don't know how it works for you. Salvation for most of us is a process and a, and a time. And it may well be that your first step into the kingdom was uh, receiving that wonderful gift of grace and forgiveness. But it can never end there. Right? Jesus says if you refuse to follow him, if you refuse to follow him at all costs, if you refuse to take on the cross, you will lose your life. Right? He, says, he says it's like this. What will it profit a man? What would benefit? What would be the, the gain if you got the whole world 
Let's talk about financial security. That's really the language he's using here. If you became the wealthiest person in the world, Warren Buffett or Bill Gates or I don't know who's the wealthiest, whoever it is, right? You get up at that level. What good would if you if you got that, but you lost, you forfeited your whole your life? And the word forfeit there is also a financial word, and it means that there's a fee. You forfeit a fee. What would it mean if you gained all that wealth and you found out that the price for that, the fee, was your very soul? And he asked the question, then what will, you, what, what will you give, what will you pay to purchase back your soul? There's only one purchase price, and it's the blood of Jesus. And if you have turned it away, right, what hope is there for you? But we can find our life in Christ, right? That's what Jesus says here. In him there is life. And it's eternal life. Eternal life. There is life in the kingdom. Uh, It's a risky path. And it may actually mean physical death, but it means spiritual life. And eternal life with him in his kingdom forever. We're out of time. There's a lot more we could say about this. But let me just close with this last thought. Let's get to verse 28. Truly I say to you, there are some standing there who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Um, how, how's that possible? So the 12, Jesus says it's the 12. Some of you, 12, or whoever many disciples, are not going to taste death until you see Jesus coming in his kingdom. You know, we think, okay, I surrender all this now, and then someday, far off after I'm dead and a long time from now, Jesus comes back, he brings his kingdom, I get the reward of this. But that's a misunderstanding of kingdom. Jesus made it very clear in this statement that the kingdom was something much more immediate and near. Now, true, the granted, the final coming of Jesus in return, where he f- accomplishes the fullness of his kingdom, has not yet happened. But Jesus is already ruling. And if he is Lord over your life, he's already ruling over your life. And if that's true, the kingdom has come to you. Right? You are already experiencing some of the benefits of the kingdom. Um, there may be other things that Jesus meant we'll talk about next week. Um, but let me just close with this, this question. Um, are you looking for a rescuer who will solve your problems or a king who you will follow? Right? That's the question. If you want Jesus just to be somebody who gets rid of sin and makes your life easier and fixes your problems, you've got, you've got the wrong Jesus. Okay. You've got the wrong Jesus. That's not what he is. Right? He came as Messiah, as king. Uh, and he is a king who will be followed as ruler over our life and over the world. He invites us into his kingdom, into life with him into mission and ministry with him, into a life of purpose and meaning and a life of eternal abundance. It means hardship now, but it means life with him eternal. So we have this choice to play it safe now and lose everything eternally or to take the ultimate risk and follow Jesus and gain an eternal kingdom. And, and this is a choice we make once, and it's a choice we make every day, right?
Every day we have to deny ourselves and say, am I going to take the safe route or am I going to follow Jesus? Every day we have to say, am I going to take up the cross of hardship and suffering and humiliation and financial insecurity and follow Jesus, no matter the cost? Let's pray. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.